so um so we're al we're alive this week <laughs> um i uh some of you might have noticed that we haven't had an episode in a while um i've been sick with covid but we're back yeah. We, we are back. We are back. We thank you, everyone, for sticking with us. We had truly no intention to have any sort of break in episodes. But Lucas caught COVID, as he already mentioned. I managed to travel to Las Vegas from Portland, Oregon to Las Vegas and back to Portland, Oregon again and did not catch COVID. Um, Knock on all the wood. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I, I, I've done the tests already. I believe I am free and clear at this cool. point. Cool. But but for everyone listening, we truly did not intend to have any sort of gap in episodes. We had plans in place with my vacation that you wouldn't have experienced any such thing. But then, God damn it, Lucas had to get COVID. It, dude, and it was even like a last minute thing. I was like, because like, I just didn't oh, think it was going to last to as long as it did. Yeah, I was like, I was like, I should still be good for tonight. I should still be good for tonight. And I was like, dude, I'm really fucking tired. <laughs> it's like the the fatigue was incredible, dude. I've never felt anything like that. <laughs> well, I am so happy you're back here healthy and happy. And it's a couple weeks late, but we are here to discuss the uh, 1996 Dario Argento film, The Stendel Syndrome. And I believe I'm pronouncing that right. Stendel like that. Okay. All right. Um, and the reason I, I say this sure. is because I listened to an, I listened to the um, uh, audio commentary that comes with the fantastic Blue Underground um, little set, uh, Blu-ray set. Shout and out Blue Underground. Stendel is how the guy on the commentary pronounces it. So okay. I'm going, um, it's uh, Troy Horath. And so, Troy Horath, I'm blaming you for my pronunciation of the Stendel syndrome. Troy, you're on notice. Uh, <laughs> it, so uh, this, uh, I want to get it out of the way. The Stendel, Stendel syndrome is a real affliction. Yes, yes. Okay, so... Um, uh, what the movie's named after and is a major theme in the movie is a real term for a type of delirium that is induced by overwhelming emotions from a great work of art. It yep. is a real psychological phenomenon, and it's actually semi-related in terms of there's a few other phenomenon in psychology that are semi-related in which it has to deal with um, a person's preconceived notions, be they preconceived notions towards something they've built up a lot in their head. And then when they finally get to experience it, having either positive or negative, but very intense psychologically debilitating reactions to it. Uh, Stendhal syndrome is for it being related to art. Uh, related to it, there's also Paris syndrome, which is a phenomenon that primarily happens amongst uh, people from East Asian countries. That in those cultures, there's a really big glorification and fascination with France and particularly Paris. And there's a lot of Paris being filtered through their own local culture and media that when people go to Paris from places like 
uh, China, Japan, Singapore, South Korea, they sometimes have psychotic breakdowns because it's a uh, it's a normal city and not the fantasy world they had built up in their heads for their oh, entire you lives. Know, I, I, I can kind of relate to that. I, uh, I like a lot of French movies, and um, I, I decided that because I like French movies, I should take French in college, and um, I got a D in that class, and it really <laughs> upset me. <laughs> I, I've, I've been to Paris. Wonderful city. I had a great time there. It isn't. It's though a lot closer to like the noir depictions of it than any sort of like Hollywood romance version of it. Yeah. It's it's an old kind of a little bit dirty city, mm-hmm. but I kind of dig those. Now I'm um, also though just to continue. Um, related to all these is also. Uh, uh, Jerusalem syndrome that is a religious version of it that there are several uh, world faiths most notably of course um, uh, Judaism uh, Christianity and Islam the Abrahamic religions yes the hold um, Jerusalem as a sacred holy site and various uh, sects of those religions um, a big part of it is doing like a trip to the Holy Land and there's heavy documentation of people basically inducing themselves in this psychotic um when i say psychotic i don't mean that um as like a negative violent trait i mean it as just kind of like losing grip with reality state of being overjoyed by it so here we have negative examples we have positive examples and sindel syndrome is kind of it in the could middle. be negative or it could be positive, yeah. um, but they're all kind of related to this people building up things in their heads in which they, which their brains then can't process it and kind of have a breakdown when they actually finally get to see the thing in uh, uh, real life. You um, know, I, I, I do want to get to the movie, but I, but I, yeah. I wonder if people who are creative, uh, such as you and I, like, um, kind of experience something like a very very minor version of that almost on a regular basis because i think we really like creative and like people who are just really into the arts i think like i don't know man shit just hits us different than i think it hits the average consumer i mean like i i've definitely feel like like part of my obsession with the arts and and media in all of its forms is that it hits me very strongly. And, um, you know, I don't love everything, but when I love something, the way it can just like transport you and constantly kind of chasing that high for the next thing, that's going to give you that hit where you kind of momentarily get transported from the, you know, day to day mundane life through either a painting or a book or a movie or a comic book or a video game. Well, specifically for in your in your in your situation, I mean, you've I, I've I've heard you describe uh, punk shows as a almost oh, religious experience, even yeah. though you are not a religious man. Not at um, all. Yeah. yeah, but the, there's uh, oh man, like a really good punk show, and like I'm from like the underground scene. For anyone listening, that like most shows I listen to, when I go to a big show, I consider 500 people to be a big concert for yeah. the type of music I listen to. 
So most of the shows I see is normally just around like one, 200 people. And at the ideal show, the stage is just a foot or two all, like higher than the regular ground. It's just so the people in the back of the bar can still see the band. And there becomes like a blurring of the lines between like who's on stage performing and who's in the crowd. And in those really great moments, everyone in the room is singing the same words to the same song. And we're all on the same level, uh, enjoying this experiencing and contributing to this art all as one. And it's just like an out of body experience. No, I relate to that as well. I mean, um, I can't think of specific movies in a while just because it's been a while since I've gone to the movies. But um, uh, a lot of times, like, uh, that that moment when the lights come up, you know, if it's a movie that you just end up getting really immersed in, um, it really does feel like you. I just woke up from a dream, you know? Um, oh, I, I, I can think of a couple movies... Uh, the last time I experienced that in a group setting with everyone in the same spot or like in the same mental space as me was this is like a very specific scenario was I was at the North American premiere for the uh, Richard Stanley's The Color Out of Space oh, at cool. the HP Lovecraft Film Festival. And um, he may like ignoring what happened with Richard Stanley. I believe we've talked about it on the previous yeah, episode. Yeah. Ignoring what happened with him, because uh, none of us at the time were aware of any of this. I'm not going public at all. Uh, he said, and I 100% believe him, and I know because I've talked to him at that con previous years about that he made the Colorado space specifically with the Portland H.P. Lovecraft Film Fest in mind. And he could not have created a more crowd-pleasing movie for that specific audience. And yeah. so all of us... Because like all of us in the room had basically been hanging out with Richard Stanley for one weekend every year for God knows how many years, and him talking about this movie all the time, and here the movie's actually happening, and yeah. being like, like I made it for all of you, and watching it's like, oh shit, this is all the shit that people at this con love and go nuts mm. over, and yeah. everyone, everyone loved it, and everyone was so in the exact same mental place of joy while watching it and then flash forward two years or two three years and he's now permanently banned from the convention <laughs> well you know um <laughs> seems to be the circle of life unfortunately uh, <laughs> um, if yeah. anyone listening is curious why is why is it what happened just just do a google you'll find google. you'll find out just you'll google. find out we 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 are not the uh, we We're are not, not gonna the go horror TMZ, so uh, you can just Google that shit. Oh no, because we gotta save time for later in this episode for me to have all the Hollywood dirt trash talking because I got some uncomfortable dirt. Oh, I, I know where this is going. But, uh... <laughs> all right, but so where were we with the uh, Stendhal syndrome? Yeah, let's get to the movie, man. Um, oh yeah, yeah. There's a movie here to talk. Yeah, about. Yeah, there's a movie we're supposed to be talking about. Um, so uh, what's your history with this movie? I had always heard of it. Um, it's like it was the weirdo thing that Troma got a Dario Argento film, and I had never seen it because, to be quite frank, it never looked that interesting to me. And whenever yeah. I looked up descriptions of it, um, which here I have a description on um, the uh, Blue Underground Blu-ray. Yeah, uh, let's hear it f- for the movie. 
When police detective Anna Manny follows the bloody trail of a sophisticated serial murderer slash rapist through the streets of Italy, the young woman falls victim to the bizarre Stendhal syndrome, a hallucinatory phenomenon which causes her to lose her mind and memory in the presence of powerful works of art. Trapped in this twilight realm, Anna plunges deeper and deeper into sexual psychosis until she comes to know the killer's madness more intimately than she ever imagined. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a pretty good uh, that's a pretty good description for what actually like happens in the movie and hints at the big quote unquote big twist, which um, I figured out pretty pretty quickly. Same, so same, same. I had I had never seen this movie before watching it for this um, show. I've seen a chunk of Argento's movies, but mm-hmm. I'm not a big Argento fan, yeah. and I've never been that impressed with Argento, so I never felt it I never felt it worthwhile. I never felt the need to dig into his B list. Yeah. So so what about you, Lucas? So, What's... You know, I am an Argento fan, but I had never seen this movie before either. I mainly because so the title is it's kind of obscure like you know the name the name like it just sounds the name like does not help it. it's just not a very eye-catching title and I know that's not a very good reason to avoid a movie but unfortunately like we are all shallow consumers at the end of the day. Um, this is from and, a man who made movies called like the bird with the crystal plumage and yeah. four flies on gray velvet. Yes. Um, Suspiria, which uh-huh. um, is a great uh, deep red uh, yeah. creepers. Uh, like he, he knows yes. how to make a good title. He does. He does. Uh, this hell, was, I haven't seen it. I hear it's awful, but Mother of Tears is a great name. See, I, I, I even movie. like Mother of Tears. I, I oh, I haven't. I'm, I'm sorry, but it's a great title for a movie. It is a great title, yeah. I haven't uh, seen it. I've only heard bad things from it. Huh. That's fair. Most people hate it. I, uh, I, I am, I am a, I'm a hanger on. What can I say? Uh, I, um, no, but I, but I avoided this one, like, because, you know, it was just like I just. It's not that I heard his 90s stuff was bad. I never heard anything about his 90s stuff. So I just, like, it just all, like, just kind of flew under the radar. Like, I saw the title, and it just, I didn't, it didn't resonate with me because I don't know, I didn't know what Stendhal Syndrome was. Like, I didn't know what it was until I watched this movie. Um, So, yeah, I just had always kind of avoided it. But, you know, we're doing this trauma show, and, um. And we did a Fulci episode back in the archives that you can listen to um, because Troma did a Fulci movie. And and it turns out that Troma also <laughs> did an Argento movie. Which is hilarious. They got like two – they got the two big Italian two horror directors. They, big they Italian somehow managed – so, so um, apparently Miramax was meant to distribute this movie in the U.S. And oh. Miramax sat on it for three years – and I'm unsure how Troma acquired the rights to it, but I'm guessing it's one of those things of like a uh, rights holder going out of business or doing a sale of titles, which has come up before on the show of the way that Troma's gotten some of their titles. Um, uh, 
yeah. did with not realizing they had like an Argento film or just not caring and Troma scooped it up. I can say that Dario Argento was very unhappy with how Troma treated uh, his movie. I'm he not was, surprised by that at all. And I don't even was, mean that as a slightest on Troma. Like I just, he was somehow under the impression that it was going to get a wide release in us theaters, which for the record is 2000 theaters or more. Yeah. And needless to say, the Truman movie did not do that. Well, I'm sure that, like, when it was supposed to come out with Miramax, that might have been the plan. I, I'm kind of guessing that like, that's where And maybe where that's that... where, like, the wires got crossed. And Argento may not have known what Troma was, so he may yeah. have thought the old deal something still applied. Me, something tells me that Argento's not a, not a big Toxic Avenger fan. Like, I... It doesn't seem like his, <laughs> his shit. Just a suspicion. Now, now, part of the reason that also, like, Argento was pissed off about the release of this is I have to bring this up yet again. We keep hearing this on this show. Argento was actually convinced that this was going to be his big mainstream breakthrough. Oh. That's interesting. He thought that this was going to be the one because he had just done his first production in the U.S. before this with the movie uh, Trauma. And yeah. and um, he that got an alternate, alternate title, but I can't remember. Oh no, oh, it doesn't. Sure. I'm thinking of another movie that's also that's alternate title is tra- Trauma. It's called uh, The House on Straw Hill. Not related to Argento at all, I don't think. So this was being developed as a big budget Hollywood movie with Bridget Fonda signed on to play the main character. No shit. No shit. And that didn't happen because there was scheduling issues with Bridget Fonda, and that pushed back the um, development of the movie. And then Argento essentially got pissed off after a while and was just like, fuck it, I'm going back to Italy, and I'm just making it. I'm going to make my own damn movie. (laughs) I'm going to make my own movie. But he still thought that this was going to be the movie to give him big mainstream success. He thought this was going to be the one. Huh. I mean, there are some, I mean, there's a lot of uh, conventional beats, at least in the first half. And so I could, I could, I could see it from that perspective, but it's also, um, and I do want to point out that this, this movie came out in 96. This was during the middle of, the what is a completely dead genre now, but was kind of out of tight in those early into mid nineties. Remember erotic thriller being a thing? Oh yeah. Yeah. Like, uh, like basic instinct, uh, fatal attraction and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's completely dead at this point, but that was like a thing. And yeah. this movie, even though this whole movie revolves around rape um, I mean, let's be honest. This, this entire movie is about rape. It is. It is. And uh, the, the movie, though, is still kind of sleazy and leering at a lot of points. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, like uh, Argento and like Argento's always been with his use of the camera always a bit leering. Like, he's not a sleazy filmmaker in the way of, like, having his actresses, like, needlessly get naked and bounce around. 
but he always has his camera views are always from the yeah. very much but I, think that, I think that helps contribute gaze. to the i think that helps contribute to the menace of the movies you know and it's, these that's are very these are much a factor of it horror thrillers you know like we do watch in one scene in this movie uh the rapist serial killer pick up a victim through the rapist serial killer's eyes it's like first which, person pov like yeah which includes leering at her tits which yeah. makes narrative sense but we are still staring at a nice pair of tits on screen so it's, it's, it's meant to be right? menacing it, it's, it's almost meant to as be if they're erotic. asking us a question right like i don't know like i i, I think about the um the recorded murder in um henry portrait of a serial killer yeah. right you know, where it's like just awful, but you're watching it on a TV and it's, uh, yeah. And yeah, I don't know. Like it's and this constant, movie's... it forces the audience to just constantly re-examine itself, I guess. And this movie stars um, uh, Dario Gento's daughter, uh, Asia. Asia. Uh, Asia. I always want to call her Asia. Asia. Yeah. I don't know. Is her Asia? I know it's not Asia. <laughs> I thought okay, it was I, Asia forever. <laughs> it, no, it's not. I thought it was Asia. It might be. I think you're Fuck. right. I think you're actually Fuck. saying it like with the, uh, yeah, the accent. Asia Argento. I believe yeah. that's how her name is pronounced. Please forgive me, anyone, if I'm getting this wrong. I forgive anyone screaming into their, uh, into the void right now, but I can't hear you. Um, yeah. But uh, I think you're right because it's got that Z on there in the uh, pronunciation. Uh, in the phonetic spelling. Oh, okay. I was like, there's no Z in the spelling of her name. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. No, in the uh, phonetic uh, spelling. Asia, yeah. And um, uh, she, she is, like, one of the absolute, like, most beautiful women in the world in this movie. Yeah. Like, stunning. And this movie goes out of its way to present her uh, as beautiful as she is. And she was 19 when she made this movie. She was. Um, and... Um, so I knew in one of the movies that she's in made by her father, she does a nude scene and I was yes. worried it was going to be this movie. And I was like, I don't want to do this on the show tonight. <laughs> or, or when we were watching. Fun, fun fact. Um, this is not what, that movie. <laughs> in the, in the, um, when she is raped by the serial killer, right? Serial rapist in the movie, when yeah. they filmed it, they filmed it to include nudity. Oh. But Argento himself decided not to have nudity in this movie that actually showing that showing actual nudity would undermine the, um, the themes of the movie, which I actually I agree actually, with. I agree with that. On it. yeah. It's and a very leering movie, but I don't think there's any actual nudity in the final no. cut of the movie, if I'm remembering correctly. I didn't I didn't spot any. No. And um, well, there is a monster penis, but we'll get to that later. Yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that later. Um, <laughs> a lot of movies we talk about have monster penises. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, maybe that's, maybe that's why Troma picked it up. They didn't even yeah. see the Argento thing. They're like, oh, monster penis. We, oh, you know, like you know, Lloyd Kaufman is an Argento fan, and oh, I'm saw, sure he is. If you saw a opportunity to grab an Argento movie, he's like, we have to fucking get that. Yeah, no, our gen, our um, I'm sorry. I, I mean, you know, we've established multiple times on the show that that Kaufman is is a student of the game. So I, I am yeah. more than confident that he is an Argento fan. Um, and so, but um, uh, Argento, 
chose not to have any nudity in this movie uh, on purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's uh, I think that's the right call. You know, no, I, and... I had heard about um, Argento directing his daughter, his daughter being raped in the movie and people always thinking that was weird and watching this was like, oh, it's this movie. <laughs> it's, yeah, you know, it's. Uh, it, you know, like, uh, I lo- like, I love artistic expression, you know, anyway, but, like, I could tell this was a very physical performance for um, Asia, and I just could not, like, imagine putting her kid through that, me personally, but obviously she was on board, you know, she was, you know, an adult, I, I but, like, the, still. I get the impression that Argento's, like, an insane... Uh, Artists like um, Hodorowski, because also remember yeah. Hodorowski put his kid in That's a right. ton of his movies, and Argento put his kid in here, and like people be like, it's weird and that. I'm like, yeah, you know what? I am gonna agree. It's kind of weird, but however, it is just a movie, and yeah. unlike a lot of filmmakers and a lot of people in the arts, no one's ever had a bad word to say about Argento. Yeah, like, at, at no. worst, you can find some stories of him occasionally being a dick. That's the absolute worst. We yeah. all can be dicks at times. Like, who fucking cares? Yeah. And so, like, it's like if the worst thing that Argenta has ever done is, like, film his daughter, like, naked or in a different scene in a different movie getting raped, like, he's all... Also a weirdo European artist. Like we all know how those European artists are. They're weird. They have very different sensibilities than us. Very different sensibilities (laughs) than we do. And so it's like if this is as bad as it gets for him, I'm willing to be like, well, he's just a weird European. Yeah, yeah. Um but I mean, you know, I I do want to pivot uh to her performance in this movie because it is her performance is great. It's incredible. It's very, it is physical is, is the word that comes to mind. Like, I mean, she's just always, she just looks uncomfortable so much of the time, you know, and it just, it works. I mean, even that opening scene, which I think is oh my god, fantastic. Yes. Let's, let's uh, just talk about the opening scene because it is also, um, what, what makes it so great is a combination of Dario's directing and, um, Asia's uh, acting and those two things together. And, and aside from background stuff, there's no dialogue. No. Yeah. No. There's no dialogue for several minutes. And so yeah. it's her walking down a crowded street to get in line for the art museum and then going through the art museum and then having her first of what's many. Um, uh, losing grip with reality episodes, uh, Stendhal syndrome episodes mm-hmm. uh, in the course of the movie. And it's done, it's not silence, but there's no dialogue. There's no dialogue of yeah. any sort. It's just natural noise. It's, uh, yeah, and, and there might, there's music as well. Ennio Morricone. There's music, yeah. Um, and it's very menacing music. Well, yeah. I, well, like, I figure when we get into who's, who worked on this movie? We can get into that soundtrack. We'll talk about portion. that. Yeah, but yes, no, it is. Uh, yeah, it's good music. There's like maybe some people talking in the background, but there's no actual dialogue. Like, and yeah, she's just walking through and experiencing these pieces of art, and like, you could tell like something's off. And honestly, like for me, like, like I 
got kind of unnerved myself, like, you know, in, in a good way, by the way. Like, I, I, just, I, know, well, I literally put on this movie without re- – because I was just like, oh, okay, we're covering it for the show. It's Argento. I didn't even bother to look at any sort of description for it. I had no idea. I went into it 100% blind. Oh, shit. And, and in that opening scene, I was definitely like, what the fuck is this movie? Because <laughs> also remember then she kisses a fish? She yes. falls into a p- painting and ends up That has a out. weirdly human face. Sort of. Uh, like the eyes, specifically. Um, but there's also fish that look like that. That's true. So I, That's I don't true. know if that was a real, like, uh, well, when you see the fish swimming, it's a real fish. But when she's making out with it, it's a special effect. Yeah. yeah, that, yeah, got yeah. Brought, that got brought up in the, my behind the scenes stuff. Yeah. But, um, so she, um, Altiero Argento does not, in fact, make out with a fish in this movie. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but it was, that was happening. And I'm like, what the fuck am I watching? What is this? What is this movie? <laughs> I was now, loving it, man. The movie I, became, I, I did eventually figure out what this movie was about. It's like, oh, this all makes sense. But that is the opening like five minute sequence. I was just definitely like, what does what does we uh, pick for this week? And then the movie turns into be um, about rape and PTSD around rape. And I was once again like, oh, boy, what do we pick for this week? Yeah. Um... Which bringing up um, Asia Argento's performance. I thought she did actually kind of a really wonderful job of uh, portraying the various like stages. Like, sta- yeah, thank you. Stages of like PTSD throughout the course yeah. of the movie because that is what we're watching her character go through. That right. so um, we find out that this opening sequence, her being at the art museum, was trying to put herself up as bait for the uh for this that she's a police officer for this um rapist serial killer that they're trying to catch and the bait works but unfortunately them stopping the the uh serial um rapist murderer doesn't work and so she ends up getting raped and brutalized but he chooses not to kill her right and and then also like talking about good acting and also fucked up that scene of her being raped and it yeah. ends, and then she wakes up to a different woman being raped next to her. Oh, dude, that's like, right. I was like, that is fucking dark. Yeah, that <laughs> was. Like, was I was gnarly, like, Jesus man. Christ! Like, yeah, this is going all out. I'm I'm laughing because I'm like I'm thinking of like what you said earlier. Like Argento thought this was gonna be his mainstream breakout film, and I'm like. Mm. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, those types of scenes were more common in mainstream movies in decades past. However, taking it to that degree certainly was not ever mainstream. Yeah. No, yeah, and, and I feel like, yeah, no, definitely not. Even in in the nineties, I didn't. I don't think we saw a lot of that. Um, I mean, we had the erotic thrillers, but they weren't. But they didn't. As but they rapey. weren't. Rev- they weren't revolving around rape and PTSD from sexual no. trauma in which no. is literally all this movie is about. Yeah. I mean, the, the title is, is actually kind of a misnote. Like, I mean, I guess it's misdirection, you know? Um, Cause like, yeah, like the, you know, the, the instance of Stendhal syndrome is what, you know, kind of sets things in motion, but like, that's not 
what the movie's it's, about. It's not what the movie's about at all. No. Yeah. No. I mean, the previous movie before this was called Trauma. I feel like this movie actually, <laughs> like, I haven't seen Trauma, so I can't talk about it. But I feel like, th- like whatever that movie's about, I feel like this movie should have been called Trauma. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the reason I was, like, going into all those things is, like, setting up that the serial killer gets away and this leaves her sort of mentally ruined, but she yeah. isn't willing to acknowledge that. So it's, it's, well, cause she's a, you know, I mean, she's let's, a cop let's be real. And she's, she's a cop also, and there's that kind of mentality where you have to kind of no sell it, you know? And, um, and, and so she can't like express how violated she's been. And it starts to act. She starts to act it out and, she starts acting out in some ways in her oh, yeah. personal life. And that's where like the acting's really good. Um, also talking about a fucked up scene when um, it's been several weeks and her boyfriend, which or, yeah, I don't know how I feel about the boyfriend character because there's points. I just where, don't know. I don't know what his deal is. I don't know if it's like a boyfriend or like somebody who she's been with before or like, you know? Yeah, I, I kind of yeah. get the idea that they're, you know, like dating and they've been dating heavily, but aren't like living together, committed yeah. relationship. Gotcha. You know what I mean? But they gotcha. like see each other like, like every other day type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but he he he's both uh, like not at all getting what she's been through. No, not at all. Not but at all. also. Kind of, like, super supportive and really there for her. So I'm, like, not sure how to feel about it. You know, I almost feel like that's a a good um, character, in a way. Because it's, like, most people, uh, ideally, want to be there for somebody and do the right thing. But if they haven't experienced it themselves, they're not going to really get it. And I don't know if, like... Dario Gento was like quote unquote woke in that way in 1996 in the early 1990s to be like here's how well-meaning men can come off can come off and in some ways I mean it it could have been some ways trigger or yeah it could have been that or it could have been like you know I mean no 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 stories really written in a vacuum right so I mean like maybe. Maybe Asia or Asia had some Asia had some input, or or uh, Argento's partner Daria. I'm not even gonna try to pronounce her last name. <laughs> um, you know, had some input as well. So you know, who knows? You know. <laughs> but um, building that up, when the boyfriend character is expressing that he's up- upset that they haven't had sex in three weeks, and then she quote unquote sexually assaults him slash quote rapes him yeah. is was a crazy ass scene disturbing scene <laughs> that was nuts and oh. like for the record for anyone listening to us that hasn't seen it she doesn't she she just gets very sexually aggressive towards him and tries to, to, yeah, she, like, she doesn't try to do anything to him. She does what she means to, which is just imitating like the how a man would have sex with him. Like, um, and she doesn't take off their clothes. She's like thrusting her hips at him. She yeah. does reach down his pants. 
Yes, and, yes, that's what I meant. She was, like, well, trying to give him a handy, sort of, but, like... Sort of. Yeah. But it's just so aggressive, and you it can... It is. The way she... And she like, takes on this voice. Fire. Yeah. yeah, that's exactly yeah. what I said. The way that she's talking, that, like, oh, this isn't a seduction. This no. is, like, a mockery, in a way. Yeah. And that scene is so fucked up, but also, like, pretty amazing. It's great, dude. It was, like... <laughs> yeah, it, um... It was... Part of it was sheerly uh, was, uh, uh, because it was so unexpected. Like, I did not see that coming at all. <laughs> like, it, was, it was like her lashing out because she's just had, like, all of her, all of her uh, bodily autonomy, uh, autonomy uh, taken away from her. And so this was, like, one little thing of her lashing out, trying to regain control of her sexuality and yeah. she does it in a very poor, damaging way to the people around her, which is a little bit of foreshadowing where the second half of the movie goes. Yes. yes. Of her, like, because that's also kind of like one of the themes of this movie is this character trying to deal with her trauma and it going horribly wrong. Yeah, dude. And, and it, yeah, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get to that. I thought this movie was very thematically interesting. It was. It was. You know what it actually felt like to me, like, in terms of tone, was um, it felt like Argento trying to do Lynch in a way. Like, oh, you know, that's weird, because I was actually thinking way was, more Hitchcock. Well, there's always Hitchcock in Argento movies, and, and this definitely had Hitchcock in it, especially... The like way late, things build towards the end, like I think, was this very really Hitchcock-ian. felt like later later year Hitchcock. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. In many ways, to me, um, for sure. Um, and then even though I'm not sure how active he was at the time, like some of the violence, particularly when like really primitive CGI shows up, um, the felt, first CGI ever in an Italian movie. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and, and you can tell. And you can tell. Oh, you can tell. It's it's that, depending on your point of view, uh, glorious or gloriously bad uh, mid-90s cutting-edge CGI. <laughs> it's awful. It's awful. I love it, though. My um, vote's on the bad end. Yeah. Um, well, the first the first usage of it actually isn't even in a... Um, in a... Uh, scene of violence it's in she takes pills and it's which, the pill going down her esophagus which fun fact the reason that's the first is that's actually a special effect that argento had been personally obsessed with for years he had <laughs> wanted to do a scene of a person swallowing a, a pill and follow the pill down their throat for many many years but was unable to figure out how to do it and this was his time to shine that's amazing. And so he wanted to blow everybody's mind with following <laughs> the first use of CGI in Italian film, it being used to follow a pill down somebody's throat. That's that's incredible. Um, you also get the bullet through the cheek, which I was going to yeah. say kind of reminded me of like almost like something you would say see in a Miike film. Um, the the but bullet through – okay, the bullet through the cheek, the bullet going th- – when we follow the bullet through the cheeks, it looks awful. So what the killer does, the killer holds the gun um, 
horizontal to a, a woman's face, pulls the trigger, and we see the bullet go through one cheek, through the mouth, and out the other cheek. And I think it looks awful. <laughs> but then we get the image of the person's head with the hole blown through it, with the killer looking down looking and looking through, through, it, through yes. the holes. And yes. that's all practical, and that looks fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so... It's it's weird. Like I I know like we've we haven't really done a plot summary in a while, but I kind of feel like it's the natural progression of this episode. Yeah. Uh, so so here that here there be spoilers. Um, I was uh I was really I was I was really um kind of on the edge of my seat wondering what would happen next because the killer rapist guy dies halfway through the movie. Yes. And uh, he abducts the main character again and um, rapes her again. And yeah. uh, she hallucinates because they're in kind of like some sort of abandoned building that is graffiti, which yeah. we she get then nasty mattress. Like, which then we get the monster that comes out of the wall with the giant monster cock that we only yes. see for a brief second. But it's there. Which, which apparently a huge amount of budget. And time was spent on the monster, and uh, the head of special effects was really pissed off that it's it's like essentially cut. Monster. It's essentially cut out of the movie. I guess more was done with it when they were filming, but none of it made it into any cut. So the the budget is three million eight hundred thousand dollars. How much of that do you think went into uh, that monster? Um, I, I, I'm. I just know the special effects are artists spent a significant chunk of their budget on creating yeah, yeah. the That's graffiti penis monster. It's wonderful. Um, so, but yeah, so she gets uh, raped again, but she manages to uh, escape and she like jabs she, these bed springs in its neck. It's pretty yeah. great. <laughs> uh, ends up gouging out one of his eyes and, and, <laughs> and breaks his neck oh, yeah. and he's still alive and conscious but with a broken neck so he can't move and then she throws him into water to drown yep yeah it's pretty savage dude i fucking yeah i love that scene <laughs> yeah. But yeah but that's the halfway point of the movie yeah and so i loved the scene but i was like wait is it going to take on, like, a supernatural angle? Because, like, no way this guy gets up from that. And then it becomes pretty clear, like, what's actually happening. So, so first she, like, kind of removes everybody from her life that was around personally before. Yeah. Because, like, the old guy that she was with, she just brushes him off and ditches <laughs> him. She, uh, um, oh, we forgot to mention, like, after the f first rape that she experienced, she cuts her hair, which is yeah. a very common trauma response with right. people that have a, a dramatic physical reshaping of themselves. And then after she kills the killer, then she gets this long blonde wig and starts changing the way she dresses and makeup, essentially trying to reclaim her femininity that she, yeah the character feels was stolen through them through this act of sexual violence. So this is a very interesting portrayal of PTSD from sexual violence. It's, I yeah. wasn't kind of expecting it to be as nuanced and layered as, no, no. It, it, as it ended up being. Um, 
and then though she begins getting she and she meets a new guy that's also an art lover he works at the art museum all is going great for her but then she starts getting calls from the killer that is supposed to be dead alfredo that's right alfredo um me being a terrible american i just can't accept alfredo as a threatening name (laughs) cheese sauce so your killer is cheese sauce um i mean i hard hard that that would have worked really well in our surf nazis remake (laughs) oh my god that's it we need alfredo in our surf nazis remake fighting for mussolini yes damn it we need to be somebody in hollywood needs to fucking fund us for this right (laughs) um but yeah so she starts getting calls uh, you know from him and the record i figured it out on the second call yeah I, i figured it out pretty quickly too i don't really remember where i figured it out at um but then they okay, do so, have a, so they, then here's yeah. the big twist everyone when we're saying figure it out she's not talking to anybody on the other end she yeah. is now um a serial killer but she doesn't know it she's right. essentially going into fugue states mentally blacking out and doing the types of crimes that alfredo would have committed yeah You know, I wonder if the title might be actually relevant because, like, with her being a cop, like, and, you know, like, she does try to get her job back pretty quickly after it first happens to her. Yeah. Like, so she almost does try to no-sell it because she believes that it's almost as if she believes it shouldn't really affect her that much. She's just going to get back to work. she reports the work right away. They actually yeah. have it in the movie that it's the other people in the police department are like, you shouldn't be here. You need help. Yeah. You, you just went through something. In fact, all the male characters, whether how well they respond to it or not, are all at least conscious that she went through something traumatic and are all telling yep. her of like, you need help. You need support. And she's just brushing it off with everyone. So it's yeah. a weird movie that it all revolves around rape. This is a exploitation horror thriller film from Italy, early 90s. But all the male characters take it very deadly serious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, no. Well, you, I, well, you were talking about the, the title, which I do. Yeah, actually have a you little know, you bit said of like one of the theory. big things about the title or, or about that, that syndrome is like you kind of have like things built up in your head, like, you know, and there's, like, kind of a, you know, like, with her being a police officer and, and like, maybe, you know, even though it's not explicitly stated, I, I do feel that subtextually it makes sense, like, that she, you know, maybe has it built up in her mind that, you know, if something happens like that, you know, to her, she can just go back to work and, and you know, move forward. Um, but she can't because, you know, uh, you know, now that she's had this happen to her and it's created this fugue state, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I, I was waiting to talk about why this movie may, may have been named this until we got the, to the twist. Oh, and gotcha. I, uh, I, I think you're, um, kind of right on the mark there is that the Stendhal syndrome and also like the other, uh, phenomenon that have been documented that are kind of, you know, vaguely re- related to this of Paris syndrome and 
Jerusalem syndrome, that these all involve kind of like going into a sort of mania when your preconceived notions meet reality. Yeah. And um, so this character, this main character, is already suffering from this syndrome in regards to works of art. And then it also when they they have been hunting the violent criminal, they've been dealing with the families of this violent yes. criminal. We see that at many points points in mm-hmm, the movie mm-hmm. that they deal with the families and the trauma of the families and that the families don't know what the person what their loved one felt in yeah. their in their last moments remember one of the one of the family members i forget the relation actually has that whole speech about him saying of like you can tell me what happened but i don't know what yeah. she felt what what went through her head i don't know where she was mentally when she died and that's what torments him so this cop character does has been putting themselves in their shoes the whole time and now they know yeah now they know what they went through and now they're going into these fugue states where they're now becoming the murderer that they killed um admittedly i think that's our general what argento is going for but I do find it to be a bit of a stretch. Yeah, but I, mean, I get it. I get it. But I don't think that's a like a very good one to one. Like, yeah, no, I, that's fair. I feel like the metaphor could be tighter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm okay with that. I mean, <laughs> these movies have had some things that didn't work for me since the beginning, <laughs> even though I am a fan. Like, I'm just this like. Is true. You know, Four Flies on Grey Velvet is one of my favorites of his, but, like, when it's just, like, oh, like, the the eye, the last thing the eye sees, it's imprinted on there. I oh, like, God, I, I, have seen, I have seen that movie. I was like, yeah. I don't think that's true. <laughs> it's not. It's not, but it is actually, ba- there is actually an old, like, scientific, pseudo, pseudo-scientific theory from, like, the 1800s that he didn't come up with that, and, but. It, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. I mean, I, my problem with it, even though that that is one of my favorites of his, um, is that the uh, I, I'm I'm fine with pseudoscience being what solves the mystery because we are talking about films here. But yeah, these are movies. Um, I, I'm totally but, right. But uh, there's no mention of that theory at any other point in the film, so it just comes out of nowhere. Ah, where where yeah. is this? I, I felt they did a uh, de- good job in this movie explaining what the Stendhal syndrome was yeah. to the audience without treating them like idiots and like having to have like a five minute monologue explaining what was exactly happening. Well, neither you or I knew what it was until like a couple weeks ago. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so I now know what it is. Um, yeah. And um, I do think, though, they could have done a better job of linking that to the trauma that she went through and how she was having a similar reaction to her trauma because the reason i'm making those connections with being like oh she was investigating she thought about now she's had the experience and that's inducing a similar thing only came because in preparation for this i was actually thinking like why is this called the stendel Stendhal syndrome why is this movie called that and so I was like oh I think that's the connection 
Dario Gento is trying to make. Hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. I'm very convinced that's what it was supposed to be. I think, though, it's a little clumsy. Yeah. I so, can see that. So she starts committing murder. She murders her new boyfriend, which, yeah. by the way, to the old boyfriend that felt abandoned, you got fucking lucky, dude. Well, yeah. actually, he didn't because he ends up dying, which we're going to get to. Um, her psychiatrist begins to realize something's wrong with her. What does he get for it? He gets gutted and throat slashed. Yeah. And then the old boyfriend is trying to be still supportive. All right, she's moved on, but, you know, like... I still love her. I'm going to be a good friend. I still want to be supportive yep. of this person in my life. Oh, um, I think you need mental help. You're killing people. What does he get for it? He gets his neck broken in, in the in a car trunk. So two observations about that that scene. One, the way she brings the trunk down on his neck. Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but it actually reminded me of the way uh, the uh, guillotine glass is brought down on the guy in Inferno. So I thought that oh. might have been a fun kind of callback. Like the way she's holding the trunk and the way the glass is held, I don't know, it just made me think of that I, scene in Inferno oh, for some reason. I had a darker connection that I made. All right, let's hear it before I uh, go in the he's, other, the he's other like observation the, I have. He's like the closest thing that she has a love to her old life before everything went wrong. Okay. The last thing that she, like the last physical act of violence she does to her, uh, to her rapist is breaking his neck mm. and she then breaks the neck of yeah the man from that life like that, that she's dark. like yeah. mentally drawing connections it's dark to, but it's not on uh, i don't know i could see i that think being... that, i think that was the connect i really think that was on purpose yeah that she breaks both of their necks um and then uh and then uh, the, yeah, other, the other uh, observation I had about that, though, was uh, it was like he knew that she just killed a dude and she's like, my gun's in the trunk of this car. And but he opens it to go get it and turns his back on her. I don't know, man. Like, he's just, OK. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is he a police officer as well? I believe so. Yeah. I okay. I think I thought he was a police officer as well, which in that context makes sense. The turning oh, yeah, the back on she could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His okay. first priority is going to be to get any weaponry, and in turning the back on her, this is a person that he had did have extended some sort of intimate relationship with, has been actively right. attempting to help this person recover. She's. And he's only just learned that she's had some sort of mental breakdown and yeah. committed an act of violence. She may be going crazy, but she's not going to kill me because I'm her buddy. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I, I need to get the top priority is getting this weapon away from her. Yeah. So no, that all made total that all made total sense to me over how he let his guard down, and he ends up getting killed for it. Yeah, and then and the then ending of the movie is like quite a uh, period on the uh, on on the whole thing like she ends yes! up raving and in the arms of just a dozen men yes a dozen men all holding her down which is causing a ptsd reaction to her from yeah. being raped while they're trying to console her yeah it, it's a really uh <laughs> i like how you put it. it's a period on the whole statement that the movie yeah. is making yeah. That this this whole movie's about trauma 
from sexual violence and it playing out in in an awful self-destructive way. So, Jeff, you've mentioned that you think Argento is overrated, but if I didn't know any better, I would say it sounds like you like this movie. Um, I, all, honestly, this may have been my favorite Argento. <laughs> wow. Okay. Cool. Cool. That's, that's I've, good uh, I, I, I've got to pull up his, uh, like, okay, so I've seen, of course, Suspiria, yeah. which I wasn't that impressed with. I've, um, which was the one with the eyes reflecting. Uh, four flies on gray velvet. Okay, I've seen that one, which I wasn't impressed with. I saw Deep Red, which I wasn't impressed with. Oh, I saw I saw opera, which I actually thought that was all right, and I hate opera. I um, could see you liking his movie opera though, because it it was made in the same time period as the Demons movies, which he produced. Yeah, and which it kind of has the that same tone, I guess. Yeah, I love I love the Demons movies. Um, yeah. I liked his half of uh, Two Evil Eyes, his black yes. cat adaptation. Oh, that was nasty, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it was really good. Um. And uh, oh, I liked I uh, I really liked Jennifer, which he did on Masters I love, of Horror. Love Jennifer. I thought uh, Jennifer was very very good. I thought it was and one he, of the stronger episodes of that show. And he also did Pelts. Which one was Pelts? Uh, the uh, meatloaf fur coats. Um, it was I okay. I have vague was, memories of it, which means it did not stand out as yeah, much as Jennifer did. Look, the me. problem with that show, and, like, you know, we'll, we may never get a chance to really talk about that show, is that, like, it's called Masters of Horror, but it really was, like, it should have been called, like, Masters of Horror for Hire, because they were all brought in to make Mick Garris movies, in my, <laughs> in my opinion. Like, because they all felt like Mick Garris movies, which can sometimes Ooh. be good. Some of his stuff is good. Oh, know. I was like, shots fired. <laughs> but... Not all of it. Uh, and, yeah, I don't know. It just... I, I don't want to go down a Masters of Horror yeah, yeah, yeah. route, because I feel like we can in some way pull that in, justify in some way in the future. But I'll just say that there's a lot of Masters of Horror I actually really love. Fair. And not that Fair. long ago, I went through a rewatch of a bunch of it. And a lot of those episodes still hold up fairly well. Um, I will say the absolute worst episodes of the show are the McGarris ones. That's not shocking. <laughs> do, you, do you remember I, Chocolate? Chocolate oh, yeah. stands out in my mind so much just because only the hubris of a man who runs the show thought he could make chocolate and release it as masters of horror. Yeah, yeah. Didn't. See, you have special resentment over that, though, didn't you? Like, didn't you like try watching that weird ass shit with your parents or something? Oh no! Yeah, that's right. That's right. Because <laughs> I was airing while I was in college, and I was home on uh on a college holiday break, and Masters of Horror, and I'm like, oh, like they've been like whatever, like you know Romero and Takashi Miike, and you know fucking uh, Argento, who we just mentioned, like you know great horror shit. And, like, even the bad ones were at least, you know, a fun little hour of horror or whatever. And my mom's a huge horror fan. Like, like, yeah. like and she likes, uh, her favorite horror film is the original uh, Hills Have Eyes. So that's the type of, like, my mom Damn, can handle. Dude, that's yeah, cool. I know. Yeah, yeah I know. She, like, my she's mom didn't even watch that. Oh, my mom didn't watch that solely on the cover alone. Like, she really my, creeped out by Michael Berryman. <laughs> it's, my mom's fa- it's my mom's favorite uh, horror movie. Um, and, uh, so 
I was like, oh, new Masters of Horror. She's like, what's that? I'm like, oh, it's this TV series. It's like has, oh, Toby Hooper who made Texas Chainsaw Massacres doing an episode, blah, blah, blah. And the episode we sit down and watch, which was a new episode, which is fucking Mick Garris's Chocolate. That for anyone that doesn't know, what the whole episode is about is this man and woman that have the ability to like switch. I forget how or why this happens, but the point of it is they switch consciousness with each other's bodies when they have sex. So they essentially experience sex and orgasm from the side of just the not other the kind of thing you gender. want to watch with your well first mom. off there's no horror about it whatsoever there's no horror whatsoever and the entire thing is my mom and i sit on the couch for this hour about men and women shifting their experience of sex and i'm just like and i was just like to my mom like not the other episodes aren't like this <laughs> yeah jeez that was one of um, the i will more say the story that it's yeah, I always say the parents. story the story that it's based on, also written by Mick Garris, which is in the Hot Blood <laughs> anthology, is actually pretty good. I, I, I oh. think it's it's it it just you know, it actually fits that a little more because it's like kind of boring. I've read some of the hot blood uh yeah. volumes because some of them were pretty good. Uh yeah. but I that that adaptation of chocolate does Look, no. I, I really love Sleepwalkers. I real I, I think the stand is okay. <sighs> I I appreciate a lot of what Mick Harris has done. Not so much as a director, but as a um just a voice in the genre, now, you know. Now here, I wanna go back though, because yeah. I don't want to spend more time talking about Mick Garris we'll and Dario Argento. Mick later. Yeah. Than Dario Argento. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So, um, here, really controversial hot take. I think Suspiria is just okay. That's fair. I, like, I disagree. I, yeah. I, it's very... I, I bring you here for the hot takes. I, yeah. you know, it's, look, but, it's very <laughs> visually amazing, but I find it altogether an underwhelming movie. And in terms of horror work, like, from the same time period, I find... Uh, Lucio Fulci, when he's at his height during those, that five-year period, I believe we figured out when he was at his best, yeah. blows away anything Argento ah, did see, in my period. I, this is why I'm, I'm actually glad you brought up Fulci, because I actually mm-hmm. see um, I see Argento and Fulci uh, each as 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 uh, these very special coins, right? Like, and oh, no, totally. because both of them, uh, both of them. Um, uh, were very they they both fully embraced the art house and they fully embraced the grind house. Um, but I will say that um, Lucio Fulci leans more towards the grind house, which is and 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 Argento leans more towards the art house, which is why I completely understand why you like and, Fulci better. And I would not disagree with that assessment in any way. And I'd also like to point out that both of them worked on each other's projects a shit ton of times oh, yeah. they were they were friend, like friends and co-collaborators and so like yeah. like they were they were all the each of their fingerprints is all all over each other's works and argento it, it's weird to think of this now because like of the movies argento has done but um he has a an edit of the original dawn of the dead that is like yes. 90 minutes and actually like is 
I prefer Romero's cut, but it his his cut actually feels more like an action film. Like it, it's it's commonly referred to as the European cut. So yeah. anyone listening to this, you got a, you got like one of those many Dawn of Dead box sets that came out over the years. The European cut is actually a re-edit of it done by Dario Argento, which yep. there's a lot of people who argue that that's actually the superior cut of Dawn of the Dead. Oh, really? Yes. And for the record, that cut is what was released in European theaters as Zombie, which Lucio Fulci did Zombie 2. Yes. The sequel to it. Zombie over here. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Guys, this is real. uh, Italian uh, horror cinema is really, really complicated. (laughs) It's 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 so convoluted. It is so fucking convoluted. One of my favorite uh, and probably one of the most egregious offenders uh, was uh, a movie called Shocking Dark that was released over there as Terminator Two, but it mostly rips off Aliens. So, so Argento, uh, you like to describe yourself as an Argento fan. What would you say is your favorite Argento movie? Um, I'm surprised to say, I would say this one is up there. Um, I don't know if it's my favorite. I, I would say my favorite is probably Inferno. I just like the, uh, I love the look of that movie. I love the pace of that movie. I like that it delves more into the, uh, the witch mythology that was established in Suspiria. Is, is Inferno the one that has the girl like walking in, in the room and it looks like um, she steps on what's like a tile, but it turns out to be water. And falls yeah, into it's the- got an yeah. insane underwater scene that yeah, lasts like se- 10 minutes. That sequence is like phenomenal. Like Argento, man, he's so great visually and he's so great at setting up scenes, but he just doesn't like hit it for me on a gut yeah. level. So, I so Inferno's, Inferno's your favorite. Cause yeah, that sets up the, cause, cause that's the, uh, the three witches, which is, um, Suspiria, Inferno, and then mother of mother tears. Of tears. Yeah. Correct. And you've yeah. seen mother of tears, right? I have, I have. Yeah, I thought, how is um, that? so I enjoyed it. Because one, I was just waiting for it for so long, and I was like, and I'm not saying this to be like apologetic, but I was high and like half watching it. Like I, I watch it with friends, and I remember having a good time. But this was like when it first came out, so I, I, I don't know how reliable my memory is. However, Jeff, I will point out it does check the dead baby box for you. So, um, oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So uh, you might want to see it just based on that alone. Um, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I thought it was it was pretty good. I, I, I didn't think it was – I definitely don't think it's as bad as a lot of people said. Um, the only movie of his that I've seen now, – now, I've missed a lot of the 90s stuff altogether. But the only movie of his that I've seen that I, that I genuinely, like, couldn't even finish was his Dracula adaptation. Oh, Dracula 3D? Oh, dude. That, that's seriously the title of it. It's Dracula 3D yeah. is the title. And that I – I, I I saw a trailer for that and I was just like, oh god, no! I no, nope. I don't know what happened there. Like, because it doesn't even like, because even if you're not a fan, like you have to admit, like, and you have like that he's got this great visual palette and like knows how to set up a scene. It's just. He just, I don't no, no. Know he's what got a, there. he's got a very spe- when 
for most of his career, because most of his career is more of what fans of his would consider hits than misses. Um, he has a very specific vibe. Um, it's not a vibe I like, but I get why other people like it. Um, like a example of a filmmaker who has a very unique vibe. People love him. Does not speak to me at all, but I can recognize talent. Wes Anderson. Um, yes, I just did compare Dario Argento and Wes Anderson. (laughs) And, but like, I just don't dig the vibe. I totally get where people are coming from. Uh, with it, yeah. but I think it's a very specific uh, type of atmosphere. And it, though it seems like whatever that vibe was, I haven't heard like. But then when you just kind of gave a semi-positive review of Mother Mother of Tears, you did admit that it was like in a party setting with friends. So I'm it like, was in a party setting, and, and I, I will like, say ah, it I'm also did it, not feel like Argento. It didn't feel like an Argento film. It felt it just felt like a horror film. Like it felt almost like for hire in a way, you know, and And Argento actually has a new movie coming out in about two weeks from the time of this recording. Really? Yeah. It's called black glasses. I saw that on the Wikipedia, but I didn't see the release date. I I, I must have not looked hard enough. (laughs) Yeah. It's not updated on Wikipedia, but uh, press releases made the rounds uh, just a bit ago. It's having its world premiere at the Berlin international film festival running cool. from February 10th to 20th. So, and it's going to be Argento's uh, first film in, I believe, 10 years. Since Dracula um, 3D. Yeah, since Dracula 3D. <laughs> yeah, so 10 years. It'll be his first new film in 10 years, and it's going to be premiering just in about a week or two from when we're recording here. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, what it, it's, uh, it's about a prostitute blinded by a serial killer and a botched attack uh, who takes in a young Chinese boy whose life has also been abruptly altered forever by the maniac's actions. He will become her ally in a terrifying struggle to see off the serial killer forever. This comes from a uh, press release posted on uh, Bloody Disgusting. I mean, that at least sounds like an Argento film. <laughs> that sounds like, yeah, I was like, okay, yeah, okay. that sounds like Argento. I was like, that might, I don't know. But it's just like his track record has been very even even if you like Argento, you have to admit his track record is very spotty, especially in recent years. That seems to be a widely held view. Um, although I did read uh, today when I was like doing research for this episode, is that uh, this particular film, uh, Stendhal Syndrome, uh, is considered one that uh, that is a standout of his of his later um, later films. Although now it's like almost thirty years old, but like. It's still considered a later film because, you know, he was most popular in the 70s and 80s. Well, I, um, I found it interesting that the um, uh, Troy um, Horath, Horath, I don't know, Ho- is whatever. Is it Ho- Horth? that's probably how it's pronounced. Um, he, the, um, he wrote a book called uh, So Deadly, So Perverse, which is an overview of Argento's career. And he who did the... Uh, commentary track for the Stendhal syndrome on the blue underground uh blu-ray very very good commentary track extremely informed informative and he's a great talker so uh, blue underground is uh, always good for stuff like that he he refers to this as the last great argento film and that there oh. were other movies that were good that came out of this 
after this, but this was the last great Argento film. I could see and he, that. And he views it as criminally overlooked in regards to the rest of Argento's catalog. And visiting it this time, it's like, I like this a lot more than I liked Deep Red. Yeah, like, that's, people that's, swear that's, up and down about Deep Red, but I was like, eh, whatever. Deep Red, I like Deep Red. It's not one of my favorites, though. Um, I like the soundtrack. Um, uh, but uh, the um, this this movie, as yeah, I, that that is one of the things that was most striking to me. Like, I thought I might end up enjoying this more than um, you know, but I didn't expect to enjoy it as much as I did. Like, I I, I actually, yeah, like I could see why a an argento critic would call this a great film like it you know it, it I was thought, fun this, i thought what really put this one above all the others was all the weird psychosexual drama going on yeah. in it and yeah. it really committed to it that it wasn't just a little thing to make it more lurid or right. exploitative that it really committed to it trying to be a quote-unquote realistic in its depictions of trauma, and I found that just like kind of really fascinating and something I think a lot of horror ma- filmmakers like to think they're doing in their <laughs> movies, and they don't even come close to doing it. No, I, and it, 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 and if they do get something right, like as far as like realism goes, like it, they, it's like. Uh, it's it's not nuanced like it's all like it's just all the grief like or you know but it's not like like this had so many different layers yeah to its portrayal of of trauma and and post-trauma I guess um it was really intense man uh yeah I I I realized like a minute ago I said fun I don't know if that's the right word um but I really I really thought it was a great film and I I I I watching it much more directly engaging and easy to watch than some of the other ones I've I've seen by him yeah Uh, so like yeah, it's more it's a, it's a more fun viewing experience despite its its subject heavy matter. content. So, yeah, so I'll back you up on that. All right, cool, cool. Um, so you said you had some uh some behind the scenes stuff. I mean, I know there's oh, like a shit. lot of yeah, uh, like a uh, you know like obviously Asia Argento has gone on to do a lot, and then um, well, I mean, th- there's there's that, and um, like like you know, she's kind of. I don't want to say broken out, but is in some way relevant in um, in Hollywood mainstream. Most famously, in recent years, she was a big part of the Me Too movement, and this yeah. is kind of where I was going to get to the TMZ. Is that then she was also added that she had had a, uh, a relationship with a so she she was a victim of Harvey Weinstein and she spoke out right. against it and she became one of the big voices for the Me Too movement. Shortly after that, it came out that she had had a relationship with a 17 year old boy who alleged that um uh was, uh, he, that she essentially molested him, which Anthony Bourdain paid him money to hush it up. Yeah, but and, then she she has also said that he sexually attacked her it's i don't know 
I mean, I, don't, I, I almost don't want to, I don't want to comment it, on the allegations because it, it's just. It gets, it gets very messy, but the fact yeah. remains is that Anthony Bourdain paid money for it to quietly go away. She was yeah. married to Anthony Bourdain. Um, and then she posted photos of herself with another man on Instagram. And about 24 hours later, Anthony Bourdain killed himself. Thanks. So, yeah. uh, Asia Argento, nothing proven, but like if she's gonna come up, I feel I will say it made the uh, it, mention, made the, it made the scene where she assaults the guy in this movie a lot more uncomfortable to watch. No, that I mean, and that was way before anything that was I know. both later. Uh, any any of those things that transpired with her. So she ended up having a very sordid history. Funny enough, the director who filmed his daughter still a teenager in the rape scene, nobody has anything negative to say about him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. I, uh, yeah. You, I have not heard anything like that. I have heard that. <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember where I heard. What, 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 uh, what DVD I saw this as a special on there, like. Well, he doesn't really do much, like, in terms of, like, directing the actors. And I was like, are you sure that's not just because there's a language barrier? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know. It's just a weird comment for them to make. They're like, well, he doesn't really direct us. And I'm just like, that's just that's kind of a weird comment to make. But okay. <laughs> All right. So now we got the dirt out of the way and we can just deal with uh, fun stuff. This is a great opportunity to bring up the soundtrack for the movie. Ennio um, Morricone. Yes, um, once again, who pops back up again from our um, Lucio Fulci episode with um, the new Gladiators? Or uh, uh, You are thinking of... Um, oh, wait, which movie am I? No, no, no. Uh, for the new Gladiators, you're thinking of a different composer. Um, I forget that did guy's we, name. Did we talk about this composer already on this show? We have not talked about Ennio yet. Oh, shit. Okay. Well, you're uh, composer, um, composers than I am, so why don't you explain to all the listeners who, who the composer for this movie is? Uh, yeah, so he's most famous, I would say, for um, doing the music for the spaghetti westerns of Sergio Leone, uh, such as The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Um, but he also did a lot of a lot of horror work. He, he did uh, the soundtrack for The Thing with John Carpenter. Yeah. Um, uh, he did... Um, he did something with Tarantino. Uh, he, he won his first um, Academy Award for his soundtrack work on The Hateful Eight. It was one of the Westerns. I couldn't remember if it was um, Django or Hateful Eight. Um, and then, like, I mean, I'm going off of memory because, I mean, he is, you know, he's just kind of all over everything. But um, let's. Uh, he, he did. He did the uh, music for Two Girls One Cup, the TV show, which lasted one episode. <laughs> Are you for real? That's just on his IMDb credits. I'm scrolling through him right now. God, it's probably some sort of comedy thing that friends you know made. Be. But Boy. it's it's a really funny thing to just see in with all this prestigious work. Then there's that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that is so funny. <laughs> but but like a lot of crime stuff, a lot of western stuff, um, yeah, um, and a lot of horror. Um, or well, maybe not a lot, but like he did some, you know, fairly famous, uh, you know, like like I mentioned, the I thing. I mean, the the thing is a all time great horror uh score. Like 
it is. There's nowhere like the music is so phenomenal in that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the um, it's a prime example of like of minimalism, you know, because it's it's just that kind of it's just that like that heartbeat kind of sound, you know. And oh and, yeah, like, yeah, it's know. very very much feels like the thing very much feels like a heartbeat. Yeah, so, that's great. Yeah, and then the uh, 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 moving on the um, head of uh, special effects with Sergio uh, Stilavanti. I believe I'm pronouncing that correct. I was hearing the uh, guy on the commentary say it a bunch. I have seen that name. Um, I don't. Oh, he did this. He pr- practical special effects, kind of Italy's um, Tom Savini. He did the practical effects for Demons, Demons 2. Um, opera, nice. uh, Della Morte, Della More, aka Cemetery Man. Oh, yeah. Um, he did, uh, um, uh, Mother of Tears, but just scrolling <laughs> through real, uh, Dracula 3D. Um, but he, he's done a lot of, um, Italian horror films and he's really well known. Um, oh, he did a special effects in the church, which has some, like, really great effects. Oh, I love uh, the like, church. I was just talking yeah. about that. Uh, I was, in a group chat with my friends talking about movies with good demon sex in it. <laughs> Church is great. I that's a really good one. Um but so but he did the practical effects for this movie. Um his what he put the most work into for the practical effects was the penis graffiti monster who we only see a brief glimpse of. That uh, apparently I'm, I'm yeah, I'm guessing that in the script it had a there was it was a bit more of a scene. Um Yeah. But they apparently spent like weeks building and designing uh, everything for that monster. And mm. it's a glimpse. Um, but he was only committing to one uh, big practical effects scene, which was that monster, which is just clipped out. All the rest of his practical effects, he only wanted to do minimal work on. Um, and the reason was he wanted to focus all of his time on the CGI effects. Oh, wow. So he spent all of his time on the CGI effects. Everything else was quickly slapped together with the exception being the monster. And the stuff that's quickly slapped together actually looks great. Like I yeah. mentioned, my favorite effect shot of the whole movie is the is when he looks through the, go- the girl's head with the holes in it. It looks phenomenal, and it's 100% practical. Yeah, yeah, it looks... That's such a cool shot. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so that guy was like uh, uh, pretty cool. And oh yeah, oh yeah. I wanted to, uh, the last little thing I have to bring up about this movie is um, looking at the actors that were involved in this movie. Now, most of the actors were, um, you know, they had been, a lot of them had been in several Argento films. We brought up Osio Argento. Um like or did a lot of Italian acting, but there was one in particular I really felt the need to highlight. And no, he was not on Law and Order SVU. I <laughs> I was looking for, I was looking for that, but I couldn't find the connection. Uh, God damn, would I have made my day? But um, Paolo Bonacelli, Paolo Bonacelli, um, he's who plays the um, psychiatrist in the movie. Oh yeah. Uh, um, tying together extreme horror shit, 
he's apparently um, in the pornographic Caligula film starring Malcolm McDowell. Oh, jeez. And once I look, looked this the, up, I was like, the only oh, movie sh-. produced by Penthouse, correct? Um, I don't know if it's the only movie, but it was the only movie they made that they tried to go mainstream. That's and what I mean. Like the only widely movies. released movie. Yeah. If yeah. anyone isn't aware of what we're talking about, it's a hardcore porn gore flick starring Malcolm McDowell. Yes, from A Clockwork Orange. Yes, from Star Trek Generations. That Malcolm McDowell. <laughs> um, those are my two fr- main frameworks of reference for Malcolm McDowell. But Paolo Bonicelli also played one of the four aristocrats in Salo. Okay. You've seen you, Salo, the 120 oh, oh, days? Oh, Salo. I thought you said, yeah. I thought you said Salem for some oh, no, reason. No, no, like, Salo. The show? Salo, the 120 <laughs> days of, of Salem. He's one of the four aristocrats oh, in shit, it. Oh, shit, dude. That is... This, this guy actually has, like, some hardcore horror pedigree. Yeah, for real. Yeah, it... That that's fun for like. <laughs> I I thought he was really good too. Like I there was even a moment like towards the end where I thought, oh, are they gonna twist and have him be the the killer or the new killer oh, or whatever? Yeah, yeah. But I, I thought that was just. Like, I, that but I and I had a feeling it was a red herring. <laughs> he um, also starred in a multi-part TV miniseries adaptation of Madame Bovary. So I oh, just wow. like. I just like going from hardcore porn, extreme horror, sl- with Caligula, to just extreme horror, borderline child pornography. That's a conversation for another day with Salo, and then yeah. also being in Madame, Madame Bovary. <laughs> it's just, look, all it, all it proves is that extreme horror and, and, and all the weird shit we like is a very valid art form. Yes, yes. If you can be in all in all those and Madame Bovary, that's, that's all I'm saying. Hey, Salo is held up as one of the all-time great filmmaking accomplishments. It's in the Criterium Collection. And yeah. If you don't, and, and if you don't accept the uh, cr- crass commercial endorsement of Criterium, what can you accept as a <laughs> sign of film quality? Yeah, you know, my my rant about the Criterion Collection being bullshit is for a completely different day. <laughs> I so, I really love a lot of movies that that collection has put out, and so do I. So do I. But when people are like, "It's a good movie because it's in the Criterion," I'm like, "Are you hearing yourself?" Because yeah. Yeah. I do like a lot. I am right right there. I have I have a number of Criterions in my Blu-ray collection. There's no way around that. Yeah, I think, man, back when uh, back when DVDs used to be expensive, I'm pretty sure I paid like 40 bucks for the RoboCop Criterion collection. I think I did as well. Yeah. Right, so be- <laughs> be- before we, I, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did as well for the same for that same DVD. Yep. Um, now before we move on from our Argento and everything, uh, there was one thing I wanted to ask your opinion on to cap our Argento discussion. Sure. What did you think? Of the 2018 remake of Suspiria. It's a beautiful disaster. Oh, interesting. I think it has... I think I, I'm pretty sure I texted you after I saw it. And you were like, is this an 
endorsement or a criticism? I, I think I texted you and said. That sounds like something I'd say. I said, I said, so the new Suspiria is the Batman versus Superman of art house horror movies. Oh, shit. I do remember you texting me that now. Yeah, yeah. And once again, it's like, so is that endorsement or criticism? I'm not sure. And, and I'll, I'll say the same thing I said to you when I, in that text. I don't know. Like, I, I, I feel like it has a lot of brilliant stuff in it. I also think it happens to be an overwrought mess. <laughs> um, it, look, here's, here's an, okay, actually, I'm fo- so glad I'm finally going to get this on a recording. I, I well, was, get this out, get it out. I was talking to a friend about it. I was like, you know, like, there's this weird Nazi subplot, and it's yeah. like, just make the witch movie, you know? Like, I mean, Steven Spielberg, he had an idea for a Nazi movie, and he didn't shoehorn that into Jurassic Park. He made <laughs> Jurassic Park, and then he made Schindler's List. Like, he didn't try to oh, shoehorn but, them together. Yeah, but now I'm kind of wishing they were. Man. <laughs> I'd be the only person in the audience that would appreciate it. I knew you would say that. I, you were like, wait. Nazis, dinosaurs, Nazis versus dinosaurs, like. <laughs> At a concentration camp? Yeah, I I, yeah. I would watch this movie. I yes. mean, nobody else would, but I would watch it. Oh, man. So, yeah, no, it just felt very, like, up its own butt and, uh, and overwrought. But I also really fucking love the death by dancing scene. And I. I the death by dancing scene is the best standout scene in I, the movie. I thought Tilda Swinson pulling triple duty was really great. <laughs> oh. I, I, I didn't get why. Why was that well, happening? Because she wanted to show her range. <laughs> See, to me, that felt like, like one of those things of like, the, the remake of Suspiria, honest to God, felt like Oscar bait to me. And I, it, like you bringing up uh, to, um, um, Tilda Swinton playing three separate roles is like, yeah, like it just serves, it's just like flat and also like bringing up all the historical shit, which doesn't really fit into the it story in any human. way that and, I could discern. And the fucking dude, the, the climactic scene, like I was laughing so hard. I don't think I was supposed to be, but it was just like the witch monster walking around and making people's heads explode, heads explode? While, yeah. while Tom York's doing the Tom York thing. And, uh, you know, and, and I, was I, like, I was in the theater shaking my head and just being like, what the like, fuck what is going, is what this? am like, I supposed I was, to be taking away from this movie? Like, this is the epitome of art house excess. Like that's yes. what that yes. was. Like, I was like, this is what happens when you take yourself way too seriously. <laughs> and so now, right now we have like, um, what people have pseudo embraced as a term for it, whether they like it or not, it's just everyone knows what you're saying when you say it of elevated horror. Yep. Um, and Suspiria to me was the Suspiria remake to me was the ex- example of elevated horror gone completely awry. Carried to its absolute excess. Like, yeah, like, I mean, like, yeah, like, I, I could sit there and be like, yeah, I guess it's technically well executed in the, terms of the movie's just shy shot. of three hours long like and it why? has no reason to be no that reason. length it was just uh, weird like i yeah i don't know again i really liked the death by dancing scene and the the ending i liked but not i don't think i liked it for the reasons like 
they thought I was supposed to like it. Like, I was literally just, like, laughing my ass off in the theater like a, like a lunatic. Like, when th- those heads were exploding, I was like, I don't think this is the reaction they wanted, but... Like, I, I wish there could have been some video, like, on me in the theater, because I know I was just, like, throwing my hands up and being like, all right, fine, now heads are exploding. What the yeah. fuck is going on in this movie? What the fuck does any of this mean? Like, <laughs> I was getting, like, I was, like, angry at the movie by it that was point. Just, it, there's a good movie in there somewhere, but it's, like, uh, you know, it's just, yeah, it's that well, art well, house. If there's, a, if there's a good movie in there somewhere, it was the original Suspiria. Yes, and right. I don't right. even really think it's that good of a and, movie. And you're not, and you're not even against remakes either. You no, just, no, oh no, yeah, not no. in the slightest uh, bit. No. Yeah, no. I thought like it was one of the first movies that I saw that kind of started to make me feel like a grumpy old man. Like I was like, <laughs> I was like, you know, art house used to be like this awesome like catch catch-all term for like anything that didn't fit in but now art house is a genre now art house means slow yeah Yeah. (laughs) it used to be a catch-all for like everything that was like experimental and didn't fit in now it just means slow slow and splashed with neon and now there's some of those movies uh like that's been a part of the elevated horror No. Movement that I've loved. Um, like I really love The Witch. Um, I really loved uh, Midsummer. Um, I'm sure there's some others I'm forgetting, but those are the two of when people normally talk about elevated horror. Of the main titles people talk about, those are two I really liked. Hated Hereditary. Hated The Babadook. Um, but I really liked The oh, Witch and Midsummer. Would you count It Follows? Because I really like It oh, Follows. Oh, yeah, I would I would put that in there, and I really liked It Follows as well. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 so, like, I liked, you know, I probably honestly liked more than I didn't like. No, um, look, But it's I, just that whole, the fact that that's turning into a scene is just uh, turning them obnoxious It's to Look, me. it's the same thing that I feel about, like, the Marvel thing, where it's like, these are fine, I just, I don't want them to be the only thing we get. You know, like I, like I, like I'm fine with psychological slow burning horror. I am, but I also want, I also want my gore fests too. You know, and and, and to tie it back around, like Argento, when people are talking about like, well, whenever anyone talks about uh, the elevated horror scene and talks about this as something new, I can tell they they don't know the horror genre. They don't know the they, genre. Yeah. pay attention to horror genre because Argento was doing in the seventies, eighties, and now we see into the nineties what these films are doing right now. It's not saying that these filmmakers aren't <laughs> aren't offering anything new to the table or aren't doing going in their own direction, but they're continuing in this tradition yeah. that Argento and Argento didn't start it because before you that you had you could, you could even argue that some of Carpenter's stuff was elevated. Yeah, I wouldn't really argue with. I really wouldn't make the argument with Carpenter. I see why you say that, but I would not make that argument. I, I'm thinking um, specifically of the fog, but and the thing. I knew that. I knew the fog was your thing. I would not include the thing in that at all. Like no, 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 no. The thing is a streamlined, high concept gore fest. Like yeah, but the is not slow in the fucking slightest. It's no, but the like I don't know. Like it just it has a feeling 
it's it's a vibe I'm talking about more 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 so than the pace. But I don't. Know. I, I think like more so like tying back to I can't believe I'm spacing on the name of the guy who made them uh, who made the movie uh, the cat people. Um, uh, Sleepwalkers, Mick Garris. No, 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 dude from the fifties. Uh, oh, the ca- oh, uh, uh, Val Luton. Thank you. Thank oh, that's you. the producer. I forget who actually directed that movie. Um, I don't think Val Luton directed it. I think he was like, he was kind of like the William Castle. Like, I think he was like. Okay, isn't isn't the Cat People the name of? Yeah, Cat Cat People is the is the film. Yes, you are correct. Um, um director Jacques Tourneur. Yes, that's, that's right. a, a French director. Yes. Yeah. And, um, and, I. Yeah. I, I think, like, in terms of kind of like that elevated art house horror, I kind of am one of the people that points to uh, Cat People as kind of being, like, the firm originator of that. Oh, Yes, there's sure. other movies that, like, of course, Cat People is pulling from, like, you know, um, Nosferatu and Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Yeah, I was going to say, like, but, you could even tie it back to the German expressionists, which you just exactly, did. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But this is when that was being done, like, conscientiously as a st- stylistic choice. Yeah. This is we're not doing time. that universal stuff. Exa- doing, that's exactly what I was about to bring up. We're not we're, doing we're the universal serious. stuff. And yeah. so I, I look at, like, the cat people from 1942 is kind of, like, that – first thing of what we call well i always called art house horror but now elevated horror has become the accepted term and i've always grouped in argento as part of that art house movement yeah but you know as as we established you know in this episode and you know you know uh, he's not afraid to get get grimy either you know and um he never you know i mean obviously doesn't get as grimy as Fulci, but, uh, but, you know, you could mix it up. I mean, that, those two, uh, the, that, that opening murder in, in Suspiria is just tremendous. Um, um, I always, actually my favorite moment in Suspiria, um, some people mention it's a lot of other people pointed out, but actually it's no moment of violence. It's when the main character is going through the airport and then goes outside into the storm yes. and gets into the cab and they're driving in the cab and she sees the girl running in the woods. Yes. The yes. whole sequence of shot. getting of getting to the school. Oh, well, that sequence. That that whole sequence is actually my visually favorite of the entire movie. I think it's it does great with sound and color contrast uh, <laughs> throughout it. I think it's some of his um uh, best work and then in terms of like the violence I love when the movie just turns insane and we have the uh, like the room full of barbed wire yeah <laughs> with neon lights like what the fuck's yeah. going on there yeah and you just gotta go with it man like I you know it's it, it's that's what's great about it to me like you can just go with it um but yeah no so um yeah let's let's tie it in let's uh, put a bow on it here uh, yeah. do you do you recommend the Stendhal syndrome uh, actually I strongly strongly do and I think that this is actually a movie that if people revisited now with our heightened uh modern day social awareness and awareness of concepts like uh, sexual trauma being much more mainstream in people's um, 
consciousness over over how to treat people that have been through it, how people react to it. I think this is actually a really nuanced, fascinating uh, portrayal of sexual trauma gone horrifically awry because it is a you know horror movie. Right. Um, I think this is actually something that may play play better now than when it was released, just because when it was released, I don't think so many people would have cared about the subject matter it's discussing. Yeah, I could. So totally I'd actually that. strongly recommend it. I really like it. Um, I think it might be my favorite Argento movie, uh, nice. which I was not expecting going into this episode. And yeah. no, I yeah. thought this was going to be an awkward episode where we just like <laughs> disagree over the movie and like get it. <laughs> it's like, no, actually, I think there's a lot to this. I really, really liked that. I was not expecting. And I think it's a movie I'd really like other people to watch now and give their thoughts on on how the movie holds up and, and what it portrays. Yeah. Portrays. Um, I don't think everyone will like it. I do think there's going to be an e- easy criticism of being like, oh, it's saying this is what all traumatic people, traumatized people do. No, it's not. And not saying that at all. This is just creating a very hyper-specific, awful scenario because it's a horror movie. Right. And I think it's a really fun, fucked up concept to play with. But yeah, yeah I, this actually gets like a really high recommendation from me. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I would I would recommend it as well. I um I am an Argento fan. I think um you know if if you're like me and for whatever reason like you slept on this one you know over the last couple decades now um, three three almost three decades almost three decades uh like you know definitely wake the fuck up and watch it if you've seen it and and like didn't like it like it, you know if you saw it like back in the day maybe give it another shot you might um you might find that it is maybe aged better than some of his other stuff. Um, you know, uh, and I don't, I don't even necessarily mean that in terms of like, uh, like the, you know, the um, social, you know, climate. I just mean like kind of in terms of just the way it's done and in, in like overall. Um, yeah. Uh, so I know I would totally recommend it. So Lucas, what are we doing moving forward? Yeah, so we're going to try to mix things up a little bit. Um, we were um, talking about this before before we um, before we hit record. Well, we've actually been talking about this kind of for a couple of months now. That we, we have to shake up the format a little yeah. bit. But uh, you know, tonight we kind of landed on what that looks like. I guess right? Is that is that fair to say? I, I'm I'm down with it if you are. Yeah, uh, we're, well, we're going to, you know, we'll try it out for a while, see what happens. I mean, we are still technically a young podcast, even though we have lots of episodes. Um, I, hey, I, we've made it more than 90% of all podcasts. I think it's 90% of all podcasts stop after, like around episode 30. So oh. we've blown away about 90% of all the shows out there. You know, it's, yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe it's because 90% of podcasts have, like, a month like we did in December or something. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we made it through, and now, now we we're going to go up from here. We did not mean to take here. a hiatus. That was not on purpose. Not at all, no. not at all. 
so to explain what we're going to be doing moving forward is we're going to still be keeping the focus on trauma and we're going to still be 100% keeping the focus on independent um, exploitation, uh, niche interest um, uh, film. But we wanted to allow ourselves to have a little bit more wiggle room to talk about movies that were of interest to low budget, zero budget fans, but we could not tie directly to trauma. Um, so what our idea is going forward is so we're, we're basing it off of every four weeks. So mm -hmm. out of every four weeks, we're going to do two trauma movies. We're going to do a non trauma movie but a movie in some way that relates to either low budget cinema exploitation cinema uh something following up on the filmmaker that we've already talked about or what we want to talk about more of or or a movie that would be of interest to anybody that's in those groups so we want to have a little wiggle room to talk about some other uh um some other grimy movies that we haven't been able to yeah. talk about yet and then once a month we are going to do an episode that is not based around a singular movie, but instead based around a topic that we've wanted to discuss. And mm. this is something that we've actually been planning since almost the beginning of the show of to do non-movie episodes, but to do episodes based around a general discussion of a general theme related to independent slash exploitation art. And so we're going to be doing that moving forward. Hell yeah. Uh, and uh, I think it's going to uh, enable us a lot more opportunities to cover a lot more things. And so okay. next week, next week, we have not discussed yet at all. We're doing this is happening live on recording now. We haven't actually talked about what we're doing next week. So we just did a trauma film. Um, yeah. I would like to put out a pitch for a movie that I have been super excited to talk about and just got added to Shudder. Oh, what which, is it? Which is Flesh for Frankenstein. Okay, yeah, I'm down. I, I know you've been talking about that movie for a while anyway, and yeah, I would... Have you uh, seen Flesh for Frankenstein? I've, I've never seen it. I know that's... Oh. For a long time it was called Andy Warhol's Frankenstein, but I know yes. that... He just kind of put up some money for it. He didn't actually I, like. I will be explaining all of that in next week's episode. All right, cool, cool. And it's on Shutter now. Um, it's there's Flesh for Frankenstein. There's also its companion, Blood for Dracula, which we probably won't be discuss. Well, I'll probably be discussing it a little bit, but you don't need to watch it, Lucas. And um. Honestly, I really want, really want to encourage anyone to watch it. It's not, it's not nearly oh, as good. As, it's not nearly as good as Flesh for Frankenstein. You must fuck life in the gallbladder. <laughs> That's a little preview for next next week. So yes, that. we are back. There's not going to be another hiatus. We are doing a format shuffle, but yep. we are coming back next week with Flesh for Frankenstein. You can see it on Shutter. There's also a great new. Uh, uh, Blu-ray set, which has the movie in 3D. If you have a 3D TV or a VR system, you can watch the movie in 3D. I have a VR system, so I'm gonna be watching it in 3D for hell yeah, dude. for the episode. I'm super fucking psyched. Um, and then the week after that, we'll be going back to a trauma movie. And then the week after that, we'll be having a discussion, which we haven't 
I believe a good idea on what that discussion is going to be, but we'll just leave that. Um, we'll uh, leave that up in the air. Yeah, we'll leave it up in the air. Do we want to plan the next trauma movie as well? Cause no, I, no, I, no. Okay. Or, or, do, or do you already want to? I do have an idea of what I want to, what I want to talk about, and I, and I might have hinted at hinted, but uh, um. I want to do the Kevin Costner starring Sizzle Beach USA. Oh my god! <laughs> okay, a movie that okay. Kevin Costner has tried to buy the rights back. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna say yes to that. So let's do Flesh from Frankenstein next week and Sizzle Beach USA the week after that. Hell yeah! That seems like a great. Uh, wow, our our brains are gonna hate us by the end of February at this rate. <laughs> That's all right. That's all right. All right. Um, all right. All right. Well, thank cool. you, everyone. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Um, do you have uh, anything you want to plug, Lucas? Um, I was just gonna say, uh, yeah, just um, you. I've been, I've been, I don't know. I've just been. Uh, I'm trying to think of what I've been into. Um, oh, I've been, I've been reading a lot of uh, this guy Carver Pike. He's uh, kind of a horror, extreme horror kind of author um i'm i'm finishing up his uh diablo or, or diablo snuff series um and enjoying that quite a bit um the latest book the last book in the series the maddening actually just got nominated for a splatterpunk award um and i'm trying to be good and actually read all the nominees this year so uh oh. yeah we'll see how that goes oh i keep always entertaining the idea then i forget about it until KillerCon happens maybe i should be thinking about that right now yeah me too so i'm like trying to fix that i'm trying to unfuck that as the cool <laughs> kids say <laughs> all right what about um, you you got anything oh what, what what do i have to uh uh plug um Shit, I you even went first, and I could have uh, uh, thought of something. Um, whatever. Oh, oh, I know. I have to plug. I, I thought of this in advance. Um, so I've plugged it before on this on this show that the great Adult Swim Joe Para talks with you, which is the exact antithesis of everything that we talk about on this show. It's <laughs> as wholesome as fucking can be. It makes me feel happy. I love it so much. He has out a new book called Joe Perra's Bathroom Book, but for people who aren't actually using the bathroom and are just trying to hide from other people at the party. And it's a the book is based on the premise that you find this book in somebody's bathroom while you're trying to hide from people at a party and the book is just calming you down and just being like everything's gonna be okay and here's how to view the world and then you can nice. go back out into the party. And it's wonderful, wholesome joy. I adore it. It's the exact opposite of every fucking else other thing I talk about on this show, but I Love it so much. And when I talk to Joe Para fans online, they don't realize he actually has a book out as as well, which is just as good as his TV show. That's awesome. So, so that's my little thing I have to plug. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, now, then uh, we will see you all or, or talk to you all next week um, with Flesh for Frankenstein. Yes.